Let's join our hearts in prayer as I lead us. Father, we're grateful to be in your presence tonight, mindful of your goodness to us. We're grateful for worship this morning where we were able to uh, hear your word, to fellowship around the Lord's table, to experience the communion of the saints in heaven and on earth. Father, what a, what a joy and delight. And as we come to you again, mindful of how needy we are. Thank you for wonderful uh, fellowship today. We thank you for the, the wonderful uh, meetings of uh, care for our children with the nursery committee and also um, the missions committee to make final arrangements and plans about our missions conference. We're grateful for you giving us the ability to support world missions around the world we think of our missionary partners. We pray for all of them. We think of Pete and Ruth Mitchell. We pray that they would have refreshment as they come off the field in France. We pray for traveling mercies as they visit their various supporting churches and, and us soon. For the training of elders for their church, their newest church plant in France. We're grateful for their faithful service these many years and we've been able to support them. We ask that you would uh, help them to finish uh, the course well that you have set them upon. And again, thank you for Pete and Ruth and their faithful ministry together. Father, we pray for all of our missionary partners. Some are in dangerous and difficult places in the world. We think of the shepherds in Ukraine, Father, and uh, the danger they are in every day living in that war-torn land. We pray for peace there. We pray for the peace that only the gospel of grace can bring, so we lift them up to you. We continue to pray for the Persleys in Armenia and, and also in a war zone and uh, the, the forces of, of uh, wickedness that uh, love murder, love death, love killing, Father. We pray against those in every part of the world, and we pray for peace. And Father, we pray for the hordes of people coming over the border. Father, that we think of our uh, missionaries down there, the Youngs, the Craigs, who were faithfully ministering on, on the border for so many years, that you would give them great grace, that you would meet their needs in times of financial difficulty, as they are no doubt overwhelmed uh, with, with the prospects of caring for such a huge massive um, influx of people from all over the world. So give them grace, give our law enforcement, our leaders wisdom and grace to do what is right. We pray for uh, our country. We pray for uh, the leaders in every branch of government that they might do what is right, not merely what is expedient and what is beneficial to themselves, but they would truly be representatives of, of, of all the people uh, that they care for and they do it well and do it not for all, their own uh, personal gain. Father, we, we have members who are hurting. Think of Harrison Howe who had a terrible fall this weekend in Oklahoma City. He's here. Thank you that he was able to play hurt this morning wonderfully on the organ, but but Father, he's got, a, he's got some severe injuries. I pray that uh, he would get the right treatment 
and have a wonderful prognosis for, for quick healing. Father, there are others that are healing from broken uh, bones. We lift them up to you. There are others who are, are awaiting test results. We pray for them. There are others experiencing uh, various kinds of physical sickness. We, we bring them all to you, the Lord Jesus, the great physician, and pray and thank you for all the wonderful means of uh, medicine and healing that, that we have in this land. But ultimately, we know that you are the one who um, heals the, 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 those who are injured and hurt through uh, your miraculous making of the human body. We are made fearfully and wonderfully, and yet we're grateful for those who, in compassion and in care, take care of us. And so we pray for, for, uh, for those. Th thank you for our, our upcoming uh, missions committee, uh, missions conference, rather. Uh, we do pray about our faith promise sacrificially for world missions and uh, ask that you would meet those needs through that faith promise. Father, we do pray for Jay as he's had uh, car difficulties down in Texas, that they would get uh, reconciled quickly and he would be able to return to, to home, to family, to work, to the things that uh, he, he needs to do. Father, we pray for our upcoming Presbytery meeting in, in Tulsa this Saturday, that, uh, that that business and that work would be done in such a way that glorifies you. Father, we pray for our cities, uh, Father, our communities. Father, we're, we're grateful for all the ways that you uh, uh, protect us with those who are in the police department and the fire department, medical workers, EMTs. Father, we're grateful for these servants. Uh, bless them in their work. Bless, bless our, our students at every level, uh, from uh, kindergarten to graduate school, Father. We're grateful to be a church that has so many involved in education. And bless these teachers, these uh, students, Father, in that process of learning and applying uh, your truth. All truth is your truth. There is one great truth. Uh, from the one who is the way and the truth and the life, the Lord Jesus. And so we pray these things, all of them, uh, in his precious holy name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 5. Give your attention to the reading of the word of God. The superscription reads, To the choir master, for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. 
The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall down by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing, ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. For those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Father, bless our understanding, the reading and application of your infallible inerrant word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've said many times in Psalms that the um, superscriptions, the little introductory parts at the beginning, are, are not inspired, are not necessarily inspired. In fact, there's a debate about that. Some people will go to the mat telling you they are inspired, and I'm not enough of a a textual critic, I, I will say I believe they are, they are um, worthy to be paid attention to. I'll say that much. And so um, in some of the older versions of the Bible, you'll find them listed as verses. And, some, and uh, no one seems to ever want to take them out. And they give us hints uh, from very ancient times of, of the context of the Psalms. 150 uh, psalms, 150 songs of praise, of lament, of expressing uh, deep emotions um, that go to the very heart of how we are to worship. 72 of them attributed directly to King David including this one. Uh, two more in the New Testament that aren't attributed in the Old Testament to David. So um, there, it's fair to say that all of the, all of the Psalms, um, you, have the, you have the exception perhaps of Psalm 90, which is attributed directly to Moses. We know that one was even more ancient than David. But uh, all of them uh, collected by David for the purpose of worship. And it is a rich part of our Reformed faith to sing the Psalms. Uh, one of the reasons we purchased the, a couple of reasons we purchased the new uh, Trinity Psalter hymnal. Uh, if, you are, if you like hymnals um, instead of the screen, one reason, I'm just be full transparency here. Uh, the reason we purchased the Trinity Psalter hymnal was it was the only one with music on the screen. No other, uh, you can purchase the individual slides out of the, the regular Trinity hymnal that we grew up with, but you could, no one else had 
the full music. And we were a musical congregation, and the constant complaint of when we did a slide of, of a song was, where's the music? So, so that, that's, the, that's the first pragmatic reason we got the Trinity Psalter hymnal. The more noble reason is that it contains versions of each of the 150 songs. Sometimes it has multiple versions. Um, and I think oh, it's up here. I've given this advertisement before, but I don't get royalties, so don't be worried. But there's an app. There's an app for everything, right? There's a Trinity Psalter hymnal app that will play every version of every psalm that uh, that we have. Um, and there it is. So... And those, it's it's twenty dollars, which is which is a bargain, by the way. So just just FYI, I'm musically tone deaf, so it helps me to be able to punch in the button and hear the tune behind the song. It helps me uh, in my worship. So I I would commend that to you. Uh, it's it's a, a wonderful tool that. We did in collaboration with two sister denominations, so just just uh, FYI on that. But this psalm, five, is very similar to the first four psalms, and many biblical scholars think that it was all in the same period of time in David's life, that all four, all five of these introductory psalms in the Psalter uh, were written. And so what time is that? And so many, time, and many times uh, you wonder, but there are hints in these preceding psalms, and this one is a similar psalm to it, that it's during the end of David's life, the end of his uh, time as king and Israel, toward the end, when he is being ruthlessly pursued by his rebellious son Absalom. And it's in those circumstances that he cries out, and you have these incredible psalms of his heart cry for deliverance in the face of great wickedness. You remember, you remember the story, how, how um, David, after he had committed his great public sin of um, adultery and, and um, lying and murder to cover up his act, and uh, the passing of his uh, illegitimate child, and then the scandal of, of, of marrying uh, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who was such a faithful soldier, so, such high-handed betrayal. And you wonder, how is this man, it, how is he included in the uh, roll call of faith? And how is he the preeminent type of Christ, the son of David? The fulfillment of all these promises, it's a, it's a marvel. And the answer is always, it is a testimony to God's unconditional love and grace to sinners. Because at the end of the day, David is the epitome of a man of God. He is described as a man 
who has, is after God's own heart. And again and again in these 150 songs that we, that we read and we sing in the Psalter, we see um, this heart. And in these first five psalms in particular, in every one of them, you have this constant contrast between the righteous and the wicked. This constant uh, consideration. David is suffering under the persecution, perhaps even exile, that his son Absalom has put him in, perhaps, or some other situation, maybe an earlier time when King Saul pursued him in the wilderness, or other times in David's life. It could be in another time, but many scholars think it's tied to that time in his life. And look at his cry. He cries out to the Lord to consider his groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, his heart cry of anguish before a holy God. In the morning, oh Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice. There's so many things there for us to consider, but briefly to consider what prayer is. Uh, here it's described as a, a cry, a groaning. Romans uh, chapter 8 tells us that the apostle tells us that we don't, don't even know how to pray like we should. But the Lord intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes our hearts are so full of anguish and so full of um, confusion and so full of doubt. We, we can't even think of the right words to say. And it seems that David was in such a circumstance here. We are our wonderful um, shorter catechism gives us a definition a prayer that I think is extremely helpful. What is prayer, it asks? And the answer is prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things that are agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. David has the practice of what should be the which has been the practice of believers throughout the centuries, which is to meet God in the morning, to meet Him with these heart cries. Perhaps uh, uh, you're like me. Sometimes you have uh, times where you don't sleep very well. Well, to me, when I have those times, they they're God beckoning me to get up and pray. To cry out to him. In those morning watch hours, we offer up ourselves to God. And he searches us and he knows us. He sees the anxious ways in us. And he moves us to prayer. To crying out for those things that are agreeable to his will. Um, if you don't have that time in the morning, I encourage you. To have that time, 
the old uh, Puritans commenting on these verses say that's the best time. The morning time is your best time. You should be giving your best time to the Lord, not, not the things that are left over. I would, say, I would say to that, whatever time you spend with the Lord is that most profitable time, whatever is best for you. God makes us differently, but many of us, he's made, a, made us like David in the morning to hear his voice. To give attention to the cry, to the one who has authority, all authority, all rule over everything, this is the one that we have access to through prayer. I don't know about you, but sometimes I dream of having access to people who can do something, right? In fact, that's our whole political sphere, you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And I, um, I'll, just, I'll just divulge uh, a military secret here, former chaplain, is if you ever really had a problem in the military, what you needed to do is have a relative call your congressman. <laughs> they told us not to do that in basic training, but that's the way you get something done. I got a couple senior officers laughing at me here. This, this is, this is uh, uh, and, and, you, and you think there are people in this world who can get things done, and you think, and if you know them and you call on them, you can get them you can skip the chain of command here. The chain of command is you get to go directly to the source of all authority, all power, all majesty. He has purchased you. If you're a child of God, he has purchased you by the blood of his eternal son. And he's given you access to the throne of God. And we don't understand, it's a great mystery how God uses prayers to do his sovereign will, but it is the truth. The book of Revelation speaks of the incense it offers up to heaven, uh, to this glorious worship of God as being the prayers of the saints. Morning and evening. The, the previous psalm was in the evening. So there was evening prayer. This psalm is in the morning. So morning and evening, we should order our worship to God. In all of these psalms, there's this contrast, this constant contrast back and forth between uh, the wicked and the righteous. Uh, you're not, verse 4, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Uh, evil may not dwell with you. The, the proud, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. There's this, there's this powerful language here. It says that David calls on God and says, you hate all evildoers. It gives me pause when I think of David and I think of his life, especially if the commentators are right, this is at the end of his life. Well, David, you're a wicked man. You did wicked. You did wicked things. Yes, he did. We all do wicked things. That's one of the messages from the book of Romans, right? 
Paul gives that litany that I read this morning to the Gentile church, how wicked you are, how vile you are, all these terrible, horrible things that you do. And then right into chapter 2, verse 1, he goes, and you, uh, from the Jewish tribe, <laughs> you're guilty of the very same things. You are, you are just as guilty. God has shut all of us up in disobedience. The difference, what is the difference between David and his son Absalom, who is wickedly pursuing him? What is the difference? The difference is faith, is trust in God. It's God's grace, his chesed, his steadfast love, his grace, and his mercy. And that is what separates this, the only thing, but it's everything, that separates the wicked from the righteous. God promises that he will destroy those who speak lies. Again, what is a lie? A lie is, is, is deliberately denying the truth of God's word. There's so many people who have spent their whole life studying the Bible in order to disprove it. Their whole life expounding the lie that Satan told first in the Garden of Eden. What was the first lie? The primordial. What is the primordial lie? God has not said. Or God has said something he hasn't said, which is the next lie. What God does say is very straightforward and very plain, that he alone is to be worshipped. The result of those who speak lies, who hate God, is that they hate his people, they hate his servant. This, this series of Psalms in chapter 1 begins with those who conspire together against the Lord and his anointed. They, they hate the Lord Jesus, who is plainly in view in chapter 1, his anointed. They hate God, they hate his son. They conspire together. To do away with him. And the theme repeats. The promise is their doom. We see the doom of the ungodly. The righteous stand in God's presence. They stand in his temple. Now, wait a minute. The temple wasn't built by David. So what's David doing talking about the temple in verse 7? Well, the tabernacle was standing. It's either in Hebron or later as, it, as God graciously allowed him to move it to Jerusalem. It's either in Jerusalem at this time. Before it was moved... There, it was traveling around the wilderness. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, I think verse 9, 1 Samuel chapter 3, I forget, I forget the exact verse, 
you see Samuel ministering in the temple, which is the tabernacle. So it's a, it, it, the words are used interchangeably. I don't know what that was. The temple is the place that God has ordained worship to occur. Now, that temple became the temple in Jerusalem. That temple was destroyed by uh, by the, uh, the Babylonians. It was rebuilt. Um, over a series of years in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah describes their being rebuilt and the great remodeling of it by Herod and that temple was utterly destroyed in AD 70 and even today you find this incredible controversy of the Temple Mount but on the eve of its destruction the Apostle Paul writes about the temple in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 the writer of Hebrews writes about the temple, whether it's standing or not, we're not sure. Probably not. Uh, probably it is still when the writer of Hebrews writes, because he refers to it directly. <clears throat> In um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says this. But the church gathered at Corinth. Do you not know that you're God's temple? And God, that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So that's the local church gathered. And then 1 Corinthians 6, talking about the need um, to remain pure before the Lord. Verse 19 of chapter 6, talking about, the, the, um, about sexual immorality with a prostitute and how it's, how it's wicked. Because a person who does that joins with that person. First Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know your body, your individual body as a believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body purchased. And redeemed by the Lord Jesus is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And it should be treated with reverence and holiness. God cannot abide the proud. Every time men have tried to rise up against God, whether it was the Tower of Babel, or whether it's a wicked king named Saul, or whether it's a wicked queen named Jezebel, the Bible tells those stories again and again. They are thrown down. They are destroyed. Every time we miss that truth, we miss an opportunity 
to be very confident in a, in a world that is hell-bent, literally hell-bent, on destruction. I'm going to stop there and um, because these verses are quoted further in the last eight uh, verses, or last uh, four verses of our text are quoted, uh, quoted uh, in Romans chapter 2, and I kind of glossed over that. And um, so Jay may want to come to those as he preaches in the coming weeks. But I'll just close with this, that it is, note in verses 7, 8 of our text tonight, that the pursuit of steadfast love, through the abundance of steadfast love, through the abundance of God's chesed in Hebrew, the word is chesed, it's his unconditional unmerited favor that God promises to enter David's house. Or, or, or David is given access to God's house, rather. And that he will bow down and he will worship toward God's holy temple in fear of God. And there's a prayer that the Lord would lead us, lead me, he's, David says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies and make your way straight before me. God's people have always had enemies. Psalm 1 tells us the reason we have enemies is because they hate God. And since they can't get to God, they seek to get to God through his people. This will, be, this will be true while we breathe on earth and we need not fear. We need not fear. We can live our life with utter confidence because of God's great grace to repenting, returning sinners. Let us pray. Father, thank you for uh, your powerful word. The confidence it gives us in the face of a hostile world. May uh, each one here, having heard it, be more confident that you've overcome the evil one. And you give us grace to live our lives every day in a way that is pleasing to you. And we do pray for the conversion of your enemies. Father, thank you that the way you destroy your enemies is often to convert them to change them, like you did the Apostle Paul, who hated Jesus, who hated his people. You knocked him off his proud high horse, and you saved him and made him uh, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, Father, to us. And we are grateful for this truth. Bless each one who's heard your word. May we receive it with joy and gladness tonight. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.